Hey everyone, I'm Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate. This is a podcast where we sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their community. If you're new to the pod, welcome. If you've listened before, welcome back. We hope this episode inspires you to cook or possibly do some good today as these chefs inspire us. And we're grateful to our partners who help make this podcast a reality. With that... This episode is made possible with the help of our friends at Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. Martin's is an all-American family-owned and operated company founded in 1955 and headquartered in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. They're the number one potato roll in America, and as I like to say, they can make almost any burger taste better. I was super excited to see them at the Windy City Smokeout, which is this huge country music and barbecue festival that takes place in Chicago. They have about 20 pit masters from around the country that come, and a good majority of them were serving their barbecue over a slice of Martin's potato bread or on a Martin's potato roll. But look out for some of their other items aside from their famous potato rolls and bread. They have these big Marty rolls, which are topped with sesame seeds. They also have hoagie rolls and different flavors of swirl breads, which are really incredible. I know Martin's is big on cherished eating experiences. So during these wild times in the world, if we can use food, bread more specifically, to bring people together around a table and create memories as my own family has, well, that's a good thing. While I'm a fan of all of Martin's products, here's why I also love them as a company. Their mission encompasses more than just baking the best bread and providing good American jobs. They also believe in giving back to their community and the world around them. So through volunteering time and donating resources, they support hundreds of charitable organizations such as food banks, after-school programs, disaster relief, and others that provide sustenance and comfort to people in need, both close to their baking facilities and abroad. To learn more about Martin's and to check out some great recipes, go to potatorolls.com and follow them on social media at potatorolls. Martin's, we thank you. This episode is made possible with the help of our friends at Cherio Tomatoes. Cherio has been growing the highest quality tomatoes and vegetables in Italy since 1856. Cherio selects only the plumpest, ripest, and juiciest tomatoes, and they're picked and packed in the same day, giving you the ultimate depth of flavor and great taste. Shortly after I record this, I'm about to use their tomato puree, otherwise known as passata, as a base to make my kids sloppy joes. More to come on that. Additionally, something pretty cool about Cherio, they employ advanced agronomists to monitor crops on a daily basis during harvesting. What's an agronomist? Good question. An agronomist is an expert in the science of soil management and crop production. Needless to say, you're getting some pretty great quality tomatoes. Find Cherio tomatoes in your local grocery store or on Amazon. To learn more about Cherio tomatoes and all of their products, go to cherio1856.us. That's C-I-R-I-O-1856 dot U-S. Cheerio, we thank you. Hey everyone, one more thing before we get going. We have some awesome Beyond the Plate merch, which you can find a link to in your podcast player or at beyondtheplatemerch.com. Head on over and check out our hats, tees, and hoodies. Again, that's beyondtheplatemerch.com. All right, enjoy this week's episode. Let's start by having you name 10 egg dishes. Shakshuka, eggs in a basket, matzo brai. 
this bubble look out. Sure. I could cut you right here because you sound good and I'm getting hungry. Good, I was, I, it, was, it was a lot to both count and think of <laughs> egg dishes. <laughs> Today's guest is a cookbook author, blogger, and food TV personality. She is a star of Food Network's Girl Meets Farm, which celebrates recipes inspired by her Jewish and Chinese heritage and adds in the taste of the Midwest. North suburbs of Chicago, to be exact. She's a James Beard Foundation nominee, a Daytime Emmy Award nominee, and an International Association of Culinary Professionals Award winner for her memoir, Molly on the Range, Recipes and Stories from an Unlikely Life on a Farm. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the plate with a woman who not only has been featured on the coveted Forbes 30 Under 30 list, but her French dressing obsession stops for no one. Molly A. <laughs> you dove deep. <laughs> yeah, I, I went deep. Deep into the French dressing archives. Wait, I think I, you even like ranch dressing or is French your like go-to? Ranch runs through my veins. Got it. I think I knew that. My mother-in-law made your ranch dressing now that I'm asking the question. <sighs> Thank you to your mother-in-law. <laughs> Can you really live in the Midwest and not prefer ranch dressing to every other condiment? It's it's a brilliant point. I feel like I've been having the ranch dressing conversation so much recently. I was with a friend who introduced me to dipping pizza crust in ranch, oh, which, but like forever not, ago. That's that's not a Chicago thing, would you say? Because because the idea of ranch dressing and deep dish seems illegal, and Agreed. like you would die if you did that. And so, do you feel like the growing up with deep dishes as your as your pizza? Maybe that's why we didn't get introduced to ranch with pizza crust until a little later. I always said ranch was, I mean, I was introduced to it literally when I was in high school. Like over 20 years ago is when I first dipped pizza crust in ranch. And I, I always said it was like an industry thing. What pizza was it? It was like a little like neighborhood restaurant in like Bannockburn. It was called Billy's Good Life Cafe. That sounds like a perfect pizza place. Does it have... Does does it do the crust that's crimped edges like Barnaby's? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Oh, Barnaby's. That's the best ranch crust. I think it was a little crimped, but also I worked at Players Grill in Highland Park, and they made their own ranch, and I dipped way too many rolls in ranch dressing in my free time. I mean, hey, you've got herbs, you've got dairy. There's protein in dairy. It's there. There are worse things than ranch dressing. <laughs> I mean, we could probably go on, but let's get going. So <laughs> we're done with ranch dressing. Yeah, get out of here. I'm never done with it, but like, oh man, the true ranch dressing aficionados will come out when they. It's a uh, little embarrassing, I think, to to really dive deep into ranch dressing and all the things that ranch goes well on. So yeah, let's just put this yeah. part of the conversation <laughs> to rest. <laughs> so you live on a sugar beet farm on the North Dakota Minnesota border with your husband Nick. Egg boy Hagen, <laughs> your daughter Bernie, along with a little flock of chickens. Can you give us a day in the life of Molly A? It's not very farm centric. <laughs> like, I want to say that I wake up to the rooster crowing and then I go out and milk some cows and, <laughs> and then I come back and make fresh buttermilk biscuits and, and, eggs and bacon and then I go and work in the fields but really it's that I wake up and I check Instagram and then I go into my office and sit and work on my computer and I need a salad for lunch and then if I'm filming then I go into hair and makeup and then I 
I make food and we film and then I eat a salad for lunch. Like it's where the farm comes in, I think is, is really in my mind that I, I, I'm energized by being on the farm and, and, and I do use a lot of ingredients that come from the farm. I, I love the eggs. We have an amazing rhubarb patch. We have gorgeous apple trees. Oh, every year, a really big garden. And I use the sugar from the sugar beets and the wheat from the farm all the time. And, you know, like a Nick is a serious farmer. He is covered in mud and dirt all day, every day. And he is in a tractor from sunup to sundown during the farming season. And, and harvest is very intense. It's not just pumpkin spice lattes and uh, cozy sweaters. It, it really is a huge effort by the whole community. And so, yeah, I, my personal world is in cookbooks and the blog and, and the show, but Nick's world is very different, but you know, we, we eat lunch together almost every day. He gets to come in for lunch and, um, and we use a lot of the ingredients, but yeah, in, in general, for me, it's about this region and it's very peaceful here. And there's also a lot of emphasis on very hard work and that's inspiring to me. And it's a very family centric community. Nick's family has been farming since for 140 years now. Wow. So he's a fifth generation farmer. So, so there's the history and everything. It's, you know, the farm to me, it's more of a, a bigger picture world. Whereas, yeah, on an everyday basis, I'm, I'm buried in my phone and the internet. <laughs> <laughs> How's Bernie? What's she up to? Bernie loves mac and cheese and only mac and cheese. <laughs> And playing outside, uh, typical two-year-old things. We paint, we finger painted this morning, made a Father's Day card. She loves tubes of yogurt, even though for the longest time I resisted buying the yogurt with added sugar. Somehow, somehow we, we happened upon a gogurt tube and she just fell in love with it. So that's her other favorite thing other than macaroni and cheese and, and cabbage patch kits. She loves her Cabbage Patch Kit. Amazing. And Little House on the Prairie. Amazing. Tell me about young Molly. Like what crazy stuff were you getting into in Glenview, Illinois, besides running around North Percourt Mall and shout out to going to the same summer camp in Wisconsin? Camp shy. <laughs> it's turning 100 this year. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to go back. They're really? doing all these alumni events. Yeah, that was the happiest place on earth. I loved it so much. Yeah, that was, I would say that summer camp and figure skating, those two things made up my childhood. And I was on the synchronized skating team and we traveled all over and it was so fun. And then, and then after skating, that's when I really got into music. So I was in a youth orchestra in Highwood, Illinois. My, my parents were so supportive of Anytime I found a passion. So they drove me to all sorts of practices and rehearsals. And, and anytime I wanted to go to a percussion concert, even if it was late at night on a school night, they would bring me downtown. And so I was able to really just have fun and, and really get into things and, and become really intense about it. Like when I was into something, 
I was so into it. And my parents did everything that they could to, to allow that to happen short of my grade slipping. <laughs> so if, you know, if, if I wanted to, even if I wanted to, you know, skip school so that I could practice percussion more, that was not an option. I still had to go to math class and English class and just thinking my, my mom was, was always so nervous that even though I was so into percussion that, that I would get to my senior year and I would be applying to colleges and I would suddenly decide that I wasn't into music anymore and I wanted to, to go into something academic. And so she, she always expected that I took academics extremely seriously. Mm, nice. How about your family table? Talk to us about like dinner, family or oh, any meal. Dinner, yeah. Every night my mom cooked dinner. There was a lot of ground turkey. Because it was, we were coming off of the '90s, you know, and it was, and, and then the early 2000s where fat was evil. So everything meaty was, even if the recipe called for ground beef or ground pork, it was subbed for ground turkey. So it was a very, it was a very dry dinner table experience. But we no, but we 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 also had really amazing big menus. Like we would have fondue night, and we would have dumplings of the world parties. We would make sushi. We, my, my, my passion for making food comes from my mom and my passion for eating food comes from my dad because he's like this human garbage disposal. He'll just, he eats everything. He eats, he, he scrapes the mold off of the leftovers. Nothing goes to waste. And so it was a very food centric family. How did the two cultures come into play like when it came to food? It was a lot of both. It, I mean, it, so we did it big with the Jewish holidays. And anytime I was sick, it was homemade matzo ball soup and homemade challah. And, and my mom makes the best matzo brai. And then with Chinese food, it, so, so my dad doesn't do a lot of cooking really at all. So when my parents got married, my mom took a class to learn how to make dim sum. And we had this packet of recipes that we clung on to. And every year around the holidays, we would have these dumpling parties where we made, where we made steamed buns and uh, barbecue chicken steamed. But it wasn't, that wasn't turkey. That was just subbed out for chicken. It wasn't barbecue pork. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't fully keep kosher, but we didn't eat pork unless it was bacon. We didn't eat much red meat at all, but yeah, never any pork. So we did barbecue chicken steamed buns. We did chicken pot stickers and just really leaned into all of the, the carbohydrates that both Chinese and Jewish cuisine have to offer. I love it. And you have siblings, right? I do. I have an older sister. Her name is Jenna. And um, she, she went to, to pastry school. And then I have a younger half-sister named Mia, and she's in high school right now. And she's super into baking as well. It's just our whole family loves food. Yeah. With Jenna, is she like a chef in here, like in Chicago? Yeah. Well, currently she works at a catering company. In the past, she worked at Girl and the Goat and Green Zebra. I don't know if Green Zebra is still open. Uh, unfortunately, no. It's so good, though. Darn it. I loved that place. But she she's actually been helping me a lot with my 
new cookbook. I was going to ask uh, you about that. Do you go to her for advice on, on I, things? I go to her for advice. I go to her to help me test recipes and, and for ideas and stuff just because she she and I obviously have a lot of the same food memories and, and so much of my recipes are inspired by nostalgia. So when I want to develop a cake, like the very specific birthday cake that we had 20 years ago, she gets it and, and she knows exactly what I'm talking about. And, and we have very similar tastes and then, and then also a, a easy way of communicating because we can really yell at each other and not hold back. And then one second later be fine. That's so funny. Did you cook when you were younger? Did you cook a lot with my mom? Yes. Okay. Do you remember the first thing you ever cooked? I remember a lot of dumplings, a lot of, a lot of baked goods. I have this, what probably one of my earliest memories in the kitchen is sitting on the floor of our, our first house that I grew up in in Glenview was had this great tile on the floor and, and I was sitting on the tile making blue and pink cupcakes. And then we had an easy bake oven, of course. So you, you sparked this crazy memory for me when you were saying your mom went to uh, a cooking class after your parents got married. I remember when I was younger, my mom did a cooking class at the Botanic Gardens Ooh. and it was like an Asian cookery or something. And I remember she came home and it like made this kind of like straightforward like a brown sauce, but, you know, garlic, ginger, scallion, sherry, orange zest, all this stuff. And it was incredible. And she used to like make it by the court and I would just like dump it on everything. And I wish I need to, I need to make that or have you her. Think it, you that. think it was the same class? You think our moms were in the same Chinese cooking class? How funny would that be? I, I would believe it. I mean, the botanical garden, my mom's obsessed with that place. And if there was a cooking class offered there, she would have been all over that. They have this great like half indoor, half outdoor kitchen still to this day where they do cooking demos. They used to do a series there over the summer. They were they were amazing. Beautiful classes. I wonder what it was like back when our like our parents' generation when they were getting married and learning how to cook and they didn't have millions of TikTok and Instagram videos at their fingertips right? to learn yeah. how to cook. Seriously. It was our it was drawers full of cookbooks and then they my mom would shove drawers in and I wouldn't be able to open or close them because like the pages were stuck, you know, in the cabinet. Did she did she have a lot of packets from cooking classes? Because I imagine that a lot of a lot of the community that we get from social media in learning how to cook probably came from in-person classes. Yeah, I think it was classes. I think it was like cookbooks from like like a temple, like our like synagogue would put together. You know what I mean? Like people contribute like those kinds. Was there shrimp in those temple cookbooks? Gosh, I don't remember. I have multiple temple cookbooks with tons of shrimp. I have, look, wait, look at this. Hold on. I took this from or my grandma before she passed. This is... This book, oh it's, it's called, Wait, can you see I have this? It. I, have, I, I have that exact one. You lie. I, my you mom serious? gave it to me. It was her mom's. I can't believe I'm looking at that because literally right upstairs, if, if we were on a video cam, this would, this would be a moment. <laughs> I mean, this, uh, it's called the settlement cookbook. It says the way to a man's heart. I mean, I have my, oh my God, look at the covers, like even off. This is, I have my grandma's note cards in here. And this is insane. Mine is in the same exact state. The cover is falling off. I think it's the, <laughs> what edition is yours? Oh my gosh. This I thing, think it's I, the same exact edition because yeah, eventually they stopped calling it a way to a man's heart. <laughs> yeah, probably. I'm going to look when we're done. Cause like every page is falling off. I wish I could just see. I can't believe you have this book. 
Well, I can believe it because it was the most common cookbook. Yeah. So funny. <laughs> um, okay. So did you ever work as a kid or were you, I feel like you were like heavily involved in extracurricular things. I, I, I did music gigs. So I did freelance, freelance uh, performing from when I was in high school. That's cool. Did you ever work in a restaurant or no? Not when I was a kid. When I moved to Grand Forks, I worked at the town bakery, which is now sadly closed. But that was an amazing experience. Okay. So you went to New York City to the Juilliard School. And I know you're a trained percussionist and you've performed with orchestras around the world and even in off-Broadway shows. What's that all about? So my dad's a musician. He is in the Chicago Symphony. And I, so I grew up surrounded by music in addition to food. It was a really fun childhood because we would have really fun food making parties. And then we would go, my entire summer was spent at Ravinia. Like I would just go and camp out there almost every night to, to hear the Chicago symphony play. And I was, I was really into it. So even, even though I always, when I was a kid, I, I enjoyed food. I was also very picky. So the food that I liked, I really, really liked. But as far as choosing a career path when I was in high school, it was percussion that that I felt the most passionately about. And a lot of that was was due to this orchestra, the Midwest Young Artists in Highwood that I was a part of. It was it was just so much fun. And, and I loved music. I still do love classical music and percussion is something new every day because there's an infinite amount of percussion instruments. It's anything you hit. So there's my, my favorite instrument was the marimba. It's basically a big xylophone for anyone who doesn't know. And then, but I also really liked playing the tambourine and the triangle and the bass drum and, and the little things that sometimes get forgotten about or, or get made fun of in the back of the orchestra. But I had a blast and my dad went to Juilliard and he took me to visit when I was in eighth grade. And, and that was my first time in New York. And, and I remember having an H and H bagel with him and it, it was a really impressionable trip for me. So that's when I decided that I really wanted to go to Juilliard. And it was at Juilliard though, where I was opened up to the world of, restaurants in New York. Yeah. So talk, yeah. Talk to me about your time in New York. Cause yeah, I was going to say, that's what I thought you fell in love with. Food yep, there, yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So I went there for the music, stayed for the food. What happened was that as much as I loved percussion and orchestra, there was a lot of downtime, a lot of waiting for my one triangle note in the back of the orchestra. And also I, I got frustrated always having to play music that was r- written by composers that I didn't know and being told to have an interpretation that wasn't my own and not really finding that much creative fulfillment in it. Yes, there were a lot of pieces of music written by contemporary composers that I fell in love with. But as far as pursuing playing a very specific genre of music as a career, I I wasn't getting the kind of creative fulfillment out of it as, as I wanted to. And it was around the same time that I was taking private lessons from my teacher, 
Gordon Gottlieb, who's, who was this incredible studio musician, but also very into food. And he would come to my lessons with stories about trying the uh, Minetta Tavern, was it the Minetta Tavern Black Label Burger? Yeah. Yeah, he, 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 he came to one of my snare drum lessons telling me all about this burger, how it has this perfect bun and how there's, it, you don't need anything else besides the caramelized onions on it. And the detail that he described it to me was so exciting that I immediately took all of my work study money, went downtown, got him at a tavern black label burger by myself and was so excited about it. And and it was around that time that I was working on my blog too. So the, the blog was something that I started just out of a like a, a passion for scrapbooking. I've always kept scrapbooks and and diaries and everything. And I had this blog that when it started, it wasn't meant to be a food blog, but it, it quickly, with the inspiration of New York and the inspiration of Gordon, it turned into a food blog because I was all I wanted to talk about. So I spent all of my weekends and evenings going around to different restaurants and food trucks and trying every kind of food that I could afford and that I could get my hands on. And then, and then I would blog about it. And then after a little while of this, I learned how rewarding it was to cook food inspired by these restaurants and call up my mom for our family recipes. And I learned that in creating a recipe and taking the photos, editing the photos, creating the blog posts and writing about them and, and having a hand in this creative process really from start to finish was so fulfilling to me in a way that percussion and music sometimes lacked. And that was when that shift started to happen from, from music to food. I still really love playing percussion and super passionate about it. But as far as seeking creative fulfillment on an everyday basis, being in the world of food is where I was meant to be. Got it. So interesting. So had you met your now husband, Nick, at the time? Yeah, we were, we overlapped at Juilliard for two years. He was two years ahead of me. And we were friends. We were always in different social circles. Oh, because I he he was very quiet, kept to himself, didn't go to any parties, was a little antisocial, and will be the first to admit that. And I was totally the opposite. It wasn't until after we graduated that he he had actually come back to his farm and then moved back to the city. And by that point, a lot of our friends had moved away from the city, except we had this one really close mutual friends. So we were just hanging out all together. And that's when we actually started dating. Got it. What three words would you use to describe Nick? Thoughtful, hardworking. He's pretty serious, but he does have a, a dry sense of humor that comes out only once you get to know him. And, and I, it's starting to come out on Girl Needs Farm. In the beginning, he, this goes back to his thoughtful description, he would really get in his head about what he was going to say when we were uh, filming the meal scenes. And I'd be like, no, just relax, be your funny self that you are with me all the time. And, and it was, there, there was a, a divide with that camera, but it's hard. It, it's really hard, but he, 
he has like gotten some good zingers recently that I'm so happy about. Nice. I love it. What three words would he use to describe you? <laughs> Insane. <laughs> I think he would he would say extreme because when I love something, I really love it. And then when I don't like something, I really hate it. Maybe hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Insane, extreme, and hungry. I like it. I like it. Do you remember the first thing you ever cooked for him? It might have been pizza. I remember the first thing he cooked for me, which was totally disgusting. It was we so our very first bike or our, our very first date was an early morning bike ride and we biked out from um I was living in Borham Hill and we biked out to Rockaway and then we biked back and then I had to get ready for work and so I went upstairs and I got ready for work and when I came back downstairs he had made what he called marbled eggs which is when you make scrambled eggs, but you don't want to dirty up a bowl. So you just crack the eggs into a hot pan and then scramble them around. And then you, you, you don't salt them. You just season them with half a bottle of dried basil. <laughs> so that was like one of the last times he ever cooked for me. And then I think... <laughs> was this the um, start of, of Egg Boy? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So yeah, the reason that he cooked eggs for me was because he was wanting to bulk up and he's always, he's always been very tall and very skinny. He, he read this article about Zac Efron who once bulked up for a movie by eating dozens of eggs a day, apparently. And so he took that as his inspiration to just also eat dozens of eggs a day. So that's why he made me eggs because he had been eating marbled eggs for a month before that. Uh, Is that, that a thing or did he, does he no. just call them that? He just called that because, because I asked him how he made them <laughs> out of conversation. And he said, he said, I scrambled them. I was like, Oh, so like, how, how did, how do you make your scrambled eggs? Well, I, you know, I, I, I cracked them right into the pan and, and I was like, that's not scrambled eggs. And he was like, Oh, okay. Well then it's marbled eggs because it was, it was, it wasn't homogenous that you could see all of the, the white parts of the eggs. It was, because I grew up, my mom, she, whenever she would make scrambled eggs, there could be none of the egg white showing. It had to be beaten really, really well so that it was all yellow. But I think the first thing that I cooked for him was, was like a pizza with ricotta and squash. So you guys both wind up moving back to North Dakota slash Minnesota. Okay. Explain something to me. We have two people here who went to a school that's like a world leader in performing <laughs> arts and neither are really doing performing arts. What was, I got you. What was, what was his plan? I don't know. <laughs> I, he still plays. He loves playing every time. You play together? Not really he plays with there's a trombone choir in town and there are some some big bands that he plays with and some community bands and i love listening to him play he plays trombone and and it's one of the most beautiful instruments and so every time it's the farming off season. He picks it back up and he practices every day and performs a lot. When he, he and I are, are similar in that we had similar upbringings. 
his parents, even though they are farm, they are a farm family and they obviously wanted to see the farm continue into the next generation. They encouraged and fostered his love of music. So they were very supportive of him going into music and moving to New York for Juilliard. And they didn't put pressure on him to farm. It, it wasn't until after we started dating that after you know a little bit in New York, we decided that we both wanted to be back in the Midwest closer to our families. And, 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 and it was around that time that his dad told him, well, you know, if, if you do want a farm, now would be the time to, to move back. <laughs> and, and, and he's like, sure. I mean, at the time, like it, it just seemed like such a lovely idea. And, yeah, it was sort of weird that we had this classical music degree, but I would say that the education that we got at Juilliard and the things that we learned there, one million percent carried over into what we're doing now. Give me an example. Performing, um, for me at least, like performing in front of a camera and or doing live demos or just uh, talking in front of a screen, like, and, and, and having to think about multiple things as you're performing it has, has been something that it's been a challenge for me. And it's been something that I have to work on, but at the same time, the very concept of it does not feel foreign to me, especially coming from a world where performances are always live, where if you mess up, <laughs> there's no editing. And now being in a world where it's, everything is on camera and it can be cut in a way it feels a, a lot more relaxed. And then there's also the, the work ethic and working alone a lot, both on the farm and in uh, recipe development and cookbook writing. We, Nick and I both spend a lot of time alone and that's no different from being in a practice room and having to uh, take really take initiative with your work schedule and your practice schedule and then find weaknesses in your work and work to try to fix them. So it's, it's very confrontational with yourself. And that's something that I think Nick and I were just used to after spending four years alone in a practice room. Yeah. Did you feel out of place at all when you moved to the farm? For sure. People here, the community here was extremely welcoming and extremely warm. And, but at, but, but it was also, it was also very culturally different from New York. I, I would say that it's probably one of the most opposite places from New York. In New York, you can, you can meet a new person and get to know their whole life story in five minutes and, and become best friends with them and, and I'd start working on a new project with them and collaborate. And I, I felt like when I was in New York, meeting new people, it was always about how can we collaborate and do something creative together. And moving here, it's a community where I would say a majority of people have been, their families have been here for generations. And so everyone has known everyone since kindergarten. Their parents have known their parents since kindergarten. Like everybody knows everybody. And so I was totally this odd man out coming in and and asking personal questions right off the bat where that's, it's just a different style of getting to know people. Now in retrospect, being here for years, I've, I 
I really feel at home and, and I, these are my people. And it, it just, it, it took some time to, to really get to know the community just because it's, it's a different style of getting to know each other. And then there's, you know, there's the food, there's a food element too. And being Jewish too, it's a very Lutheran and Catholic community. And so celebrating Jewish holidays and, and making Jewish food, I can't just, you know, go down the street to Zabar's and get some matzo ball soup and a loaf of challah. (laughs) I've got to make it myself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So wait, so how did Girl Meets Farm come about? Was it blog, TV show, book or it was it was blog molly on the range and when molly on the range launched in new york that's when i had my first meeting with food network got it what's your writing routine like do you do you have like a do you follow a similar routine when you write like similar place or pen to paper computer like what's your always computer when i was writing molly on the range all of the writing happened in the middle of the night while I was listening to Sia for some reason. And I drank a lot of chameleon cold brew. Now with a two-year-old, I have just forced my work hours to be very routine to happen all within the hours of eight to six. And so it's a lot more civilized. (laughs) During, During filming, I would just take carry my computer around with me to hair and makeup, to my break station, everywhere. And anytime a thought would pop into my head, I would just jot it down. And then when I wasn't filming, I I have this writing cave where I would just sit and and write and then edit and re-edit and, and just, I called it excavating because I, I felt like I was just chipping away at this book, doing it little by little. So it was it was a much less extreme process this time around because it was much more organized and also much more had to stick to that routine. But it, yeah. So, that, so you just submitted my saw and your next book, Home is Where the Eggs Are. Sounds obvious, but <laughs> give us a little taste or how did it come about? So it's recipes that I cook for my family and that my family loves. It's it's a very simple concept, but it's not totally a quick and easy everyday book, although a lot of the recipes are quick and easy, but it's also the the chicken noodle soup that I make every Sunday and the hot dishes that we make on weekends. And it's food that you, you don't have to throw a party for. It's for your nuclear family. It's for, did I say nuclear when I meant nuclear? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Dang, I should learn that. Um, it's it, it, it's food for your immediate family or whoever you live with or your your, your closest inner circle. So baked goods and desserts that you don't that aren't in huge batches and that last for a while in the cookie jar, so you don't have to feel the need to share them. And stop right there, Molly. Let's talk about your cookie jar. Okay, you have like multiple cookie jars on your counter, and you always have multiple cookies in your cookie jar. <laughs> it's because I'm always testing. Do you remember what's in there right now? I know you're not like in front of it. Cookie jars on a break right now, but I would say most commonly it's Mondel bread because Mondel bread is the lowest maintenance cookie to have on hand since it doesn't go bad for months yeah so my mom makes mandel bread and stores it in the freezer i actually like it out of the freezer more is that weird not weird at all cold food is delicious and it gets snappier yeah so good yeah so well you've had created and have had this popular food 
lifestyle brand blog, mynameisye.com, which has been recognized by Savor and Yahoo and probably plenty of others as food blog of the year. Are you exhausted? <laughs> not not from that, from having a two-year-old. Yes. <laughs> Got it. Okay. What drives you though? Like what, what, what motivates you every day? The creativity. And I think that's so much joy can be had from food and the concept of keeping traditions and heritage alive and telling stories that are often told stories of Midwest cuisine that Nick grew up with and that is so nostalgic to him, but that I had never heard about and that a lot of the country has never heard about. And, and then also keeping Jewish cuisine alive on the farm for Bernie and, and storytelling. It's Jews are storytellers, you know? So it's, it's a lot about that. It's the family, creativity, storytelling, and heritage. So as a, as a woman who's had great accomplishments, what message would you give to other women who admire your career and accomplishments? Tell your story foster your passion, work on your passion and own it and know that your story is unique and, and beautiful and, and it contributes to the world and what might seem normal and mundane and everyday to you is not to people who are reading your story and your blog or your social media or whatever, or your books or whatever you want to share and and put in the hours. I mean, I think that one thing that was very inspiring to me with, with getting my blog up and running was moving to Grand Forks and seeing the kind of hours that Nick was putting into the farm, into something that he felt so deeply about and seeing that, Oh, I can, I can work seven days a week too. For a time. Of course, there's burnout and all that. But in the beginning, I think it's really important to, to work as hard as you physically and possibly can. And there will be a time when when you can step back a little bit, slow down a little bit and find that healthy work-life balance. But I don't know. I think in the beginning, when when, when you have that energy and that drive, just go for it. So as you probably know from listening to the pod all of our guests on beyond the plate give back in different ways it's one of the reasons why we started it to share what our guests do beyond the plate and they all do it in different ways whether it's their own organization or a cause that's meaningful to them or raising funds through a plate to give to an organization whatever it may be can you share some projects or organizations or causes that are meaningful to you or that you yeah. lend your voice or support towards? Yeah. So I've been involved with No Kid Hungry for a few years now, and that has been extremely rewarding and gratifying, especially now as a mom that just takes on even deeper meaning. And I would say that a cause that I feel extremely passionately about is education, childhood education, and helping students to foster their passions. Throughout college and after college, I did a lot of teaching percussion 
to a lot of students from underserved communities. And that is something that I'm, I'm working on getting back to that. And I'm in the very beginning stages of, of figuring out what that means on a, on a bigger level, starting an organization or a foundation in order to help kids find what they're passionate about and to be able to foster it in the way that I was lucky enough to foster it when I was a student. Anytime something bad happens in the world, it's, and, and I feel helpless. That's what my mind goes. I just think, I, I wonder if, if, if that person did that bad thing could have had something really meaningful that they were working towards and something that they were passionate about, you know, could, could that have been stopped? And, and I know that that's one in, in a million ways to, to try to work, to make the world better, but it's something that feels that, that I feel deeply about and that I feel where I can most contribute and whether it's in food or music or blogging or, or journalism or whatnot, like I, I want to give kids the opportunity to pursue their dreams. I love it. I love it. That's amazing. So not that this is about me, but two things. One, on behalf of uh, Share Our Strength, No Kid Hungry, I'm on their leadership council. So thank you for everything you do. Thank you. (laughs) And two, you should check out. So a recent episode we did with, I don't know if you're familiar, but Reem Cassis. Oh, She's yeah. based in Philly. She's a food uh-huh. writer, a Palestinian food writer, grew up in Jerusalem. I'm a fan. Um, yeah. Her episode's very cool. I think you'll enjoy it just from a sense of two things you hit upon. One, like preserving culture, tradition, you know, through food and whatnot, um, she talks about, which is really cool. Super educational. I learned a ton from her. And two, how she gives back, like her point of view and giving back and um, why she does how she does it is really interesting, but it kind of leans into what you're saying about almost like educational mentoring individual Mm -hmm. perspective. So cool. I can't wait to listen to that. It's pretty neat. So that's awesome. Great, great stuff. Awesome. Let's do a speed round. Okay. What'd you have for dinner last night? Grilled shrimp and rice. Yum. Name a smell in the kitchen that you love. Fresh bread. Ooh, name a smell in the kitchen you hate. Bananas. Do you not like bananas? Hate bananas. I want so badly to love bananas because they are so convenient and make smoothies so smooth, but it's everything. It's the smell, it's the texture. Does Nick like bananas? Loves bananas. And Bernie is obsessed with bananas. So I have to suck it up and give her bananas. But all right. All right. What pisses you off in the kitchen? Inefficiency. And what makes you happy in the kitchen? Efficiency and also geometrically pleasing shapes. I'm really into perfect 90 degree angles whenever I cut brownies and uh, perpendicular lines when I'm frosting cakes. What actor would play Molly Yeh in a movie? <laughs> oh, you know who I love is Abby Jacobson from Broad City. All right. Good, good. Final question. The ultimate farm dinner. Who's coming and what are you making? Okay. Ultimate farm dinner. I love to make pizza because every wheat harvest, the field, the wheat fields smell like pizza because it's that wheat getting picked. And so I like to grind up the wheat right from the field and put it into my pizza dough. 
And then also wheat harvest is when the garden is the happiest. So I would just pick every vegetable and herb from the garden and throw it on there. And uh, some sort of fruity dessert because usually the rhubarb is still good or the apples might be good on the, on the trees then. So maybe some sort of bar and rose water or orange blossom because I just love those flavors. And I would probably be family. <laughs> all, of my, all of my extended family would fly in because they're all over the country and I miss them. I haven't seen them since the pandemic. So we would have one, one big wheat harvest meal. I love it. Thank you for doing this. Thank you, Cappy. This has been so lovely talking with you. I loved how super excited to talk to you just for obvious reasons of similar-ish backgrounds where we grew up and everything. But I'm just so intrigued by your path and like what you've created and what you've done and the amount of people that I run into that say... Do you know Molly A? I love her. So whether it is making your ranch dressing or whether it is, you know, loving your show or loving your book, it's awesome. Keep up, keep up the great work. Thank you so much. You too. I, I love this podcast. It's been an honor. And I hope that one day in real life, our two-year-olds can hang out and we can all dip pizza crust and ranch together. God, (laughs) that would be the time of our life. Thank you so much. Your questions are so good, Cappy. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Have a great weekend. Bye. Thanks again to Molly Ye. Find more on her at mynameisye.com. That's M-Y-N-A-M-E-I-S-Y-E-H.com. To learn more about No Kid Hungry, go to nokidhungry.org. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at On Kathy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Plate Podcast. This episode was produced by myself along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetton, and Sean Petrosian. Our digital media is by Sarah McClellan Me. Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. As always, special shout out to my wife, Katie. Please rate, review, and or subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Don't forget to join us next Wednesday for an episode of Beyond the Drink, our companion podcast of Beyond the Plate, presented by Ford's Gin. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy, and remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.